Well, thank you for that. That was a lot of fun. Um, now, if you haven't been noticing, throughout this camp, uh, our Mr. Photographer, professional photographer who charges, I don't know, a thousand bucks a day is doing it free for us. Uh, special thanks to Jonah and all his gear he provided us. But we've taken photos of you. Now, if you think you're famous and you don't want your face anywhere on the website, of our church website or Facebook, and you think your face is just too precious, you don't want to be seen, uh, you need to tell Jonah. Okay, and we'll cross your face out. <laughs> okay, so if you're precious about that, that's okay. You know, there are children here, so if you don't want it seen in any of our advertising material, uh, please tell Jonah. Okay? Good. Now... Uh, what we're going to do now is what we've been doing uh, for a few years. If you do not yet know, we belong to a Presbyterian church. Now, Presbyterians are known for many things, lots of things. One of the things that we are known for as Presbyterians is tradition. Tradition, we love tradition. In fact, there's a tagline used about Presbyterians, and the tagline goes, they are frozen but chosen. Frozen because we're stuck in our ways, we like tradition, but we're chosen because we're at least elect. <laughs> That's what we believe, but frozen? Okay. Well, anyway, in our church camp, we do have some traditions, and this is the sixth year of running. I mean, we used to have church camp a while ago before my time, but in its current form, we've been doing this for six years. And I thought what I'd do is to show a bit of what I did last year, and that is... The, the camp as, as it's grown over the years. So in 2013, Forest Edge, there were about 70 of us. 2014, Forest Edge as well. 2015, Upper Plenty. 2016, back at Forest Edge, and it's grown at that point, it's about 170. Last year, Phillip Island, so that was last year. Now, this year, if you want to see this year's photo, you have to come back next year's camp. <laughs> now, we, we do have this tra tradition, and it's nice just reminiscing what we've done together in the past, the good old days when we were a lot younger. But we did have a tradition that went on for a while, and out of love, we would throw our speaker, our camp speaker, into the river or the dam. Do you remember that? This was one year with Mr. Soren Dora. <laughs> in the dam uh, but this year out of love if our speakers are above 70 years old we don't throw them in the dam so david are you above 70 yet you just <laughs> so what do we do <laughs> no, we won't. but there is another tradition that we have kept uh, for quite a number of years and and that is really this final session a time for us to reflect as the people of god as the church family a time to reflect, and, and we've called this the State of the Union Address. Now, of course, that's a strange American term because there's no state here. In fact, there's really no state at the moment, is there? In our church, it's a bit... We, have, we just have to wait and see. But anyway, it's a chance to reflect on the year that has passed and to actually consider what will happen or, or to be challenged, to be spurred as the people of God, by the Word of God, how we might live as we live this next year together as His family. And so, what I thought about um, as I was reflecting on this was I'll, I'll talk about this in three categories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. 
That's why we did that thing last night, so I can use it here as an illustration. <laughs> so let's spend some time reflecting on the good. The good. Reflecting on the year that has passed. And I'm sure we're all united in this. There are so many things for us to praise God for. So many good things. The blessings of God is overflowing and, and we see it, we experience it, and we have experienced it this past week. And so from our perspective, and of course from the perspective of the elders in the session, we see the ministries of our church is really flourishing. It's so good to see our crash ministry, there's more kids to, uh, to cry and to care for. It's growing. Our kids' ministry is flourishing this year. We've got a whole bunch of new families because of our kids' ministry. And it is good to see. We've got the mainly music for mums and bubs on Thursdays. Even our youth group. It's just good to see. We've got 13 youth leaders caring for a whole bunch of youth. Yeah, you know how parents sometimes they do school tours, visiting schools to check it out to see how it is? We sort of had a youth group tour for parents. Unexpected, wasn't planned, but they came and said, well, here's our youth, here are our leaders, toilets, kitchen. It's a good youth group. So, <laughs> so we, we had a night like that. Not that it was planned. Our easy uh, English ministry, ESL ministry, that is flourishing. More people coming by word of mouth. And there are so many opportunities there for them to hear, not just of the English language, but to hear of stories from the Bible. And our leaders in the ESL, they're considering how can we move them on. So there are thoughts about maybe we need to run a Bible study, a, a simple uh, English Bible study, so that they might know of Jesus. That's good, isn't it? That's the good. Our growth groups also flourishing. So many of our groups are just a bit too big. Some of our homes are a bit too small for our groups. It's a good problem to have. Flourishing as well. And of course, our weekly gathering at church as the people of God, both our services, such joy. I'm always filled with joy each time we, we meet as the people of God. People are enjoying fellowship, caring, praying in corners. It's just so good to see. That is the good. But there's more. When you hear stories of how God is moving lives, I mean, just yesterday to hear of Johnny's story, that is amazing. How God can bring someone like that to faith. Praise the Lord. Or when you hear stories of how so many of you, in your own context, at work, at uni, on campus, sharing your faith, being bold, courageous, not afraid, nothing to fear, but you proclaim Christ. That is so good to see and so good to hear of. So good to also see how, how so many of you guys are engage, engaged in discipleship, mentoring each other. I mean, that's a cultural shift. Yeah, that wasn't the case uh, for, for many years, but that's a cultural shift where you do engage, meet one-on-one, -on -one, praying, opening up the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. I also see many of you so willingly and joyfully just serving, getting on with serving, without complaining, without whinging. That is so good to see. Also, there are many of you I know who are, who are hurting in life. You feel broken, but yet you don't feel alone because you've got the family here. You've got people to care for you, to walk by you, to pray for you. That is the good that we see. It is good, lots of good. And of course, there are other good things that our church are involved in that many of you might not be aware of. Our church has been quite instrumental in helping a new church plant in Officer. We supported them financially, uh, quite, a, quite a substantial amount. Uh, we gave them our chairs. So the chairs that we used to have in our hall, that's now at their church in their service, and that's been used there for them. 
uh, with, we're supporting them. I'm on their session as well. So it is good we're engaging work not just in Surrey Hills but beyond. And of course, many of you are engaging ministries outside of church. It is so good to see. And one big plus just this past year is that our ministry has grown and it's gone back to two anyway, but we've now got Michelle. You know, this is unique. I'm not sure if many of you know. Amongst uh, all the Presbyterian Church in Victoria, I think Michelle's the only female theologically trained um, um, ministry worker in our denomination, in our state. It is unique. It is precious and it is special. So we're so grateful that Michelle has joined us to love us, to care for us, to minister and to mentor so many of you. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. And so as we're reflecting, lots of good. And I'm sure the elders, our session, are so thankful to all of you for your wonderful work, your faithful, humble service, and our partnership in the gospel. It is good to see, so good. You commit the things of the kingdom of God and each other to prayer. You serve willingly and joyfully. And so we want to thank you. We want to thank you. Now the next bit of that song. Many of you had no idea what the good, the bad and ugly were. It shows how young you are. Now, that was from the 80s, was it? Or 70s, 80s. So what's the bad? 60s. Okay. That's before my time too, so why do I know about it? <laughs> well, what's the bad? The bad is that, is, is that there is still bad news. You see, the gospel to us, as we've been hearing this weekend, it is great news to us. If Jesus is my saviour, that is glorious news. But if Jesus is not my saviour, that is bad news. That is terrifying news. It is the worst news ever. I mean, when we look at this verse, which we studied last year, Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is great news if God is for us. But if Jesus is not your saviour, then it is bad news. Terrifying news because God is against you. And if Jesus is not your saviour, then there's no hope. If God is not for you, there is no hope. And so the bad is that there is still so many bad news. So much bad news for all those around us. Often as Christians, we can live in our sort of like comfortable Christian community. We can get caught up with our life, with the, the busyness of life, with our ambitions, whatever that might be. But we've forgotten. There are souls that need to be saved. It is still bad news for so much of this world. And so that is the bad. The good, the bad. What about the ugly? What do you think the ugly might be as we think forward? What might be ugly even amongst us as Christians? As those who profess faith in Christ. What might be ugly in us? I was thinking about this. I mean, I thought about this and then I thought about the song. But I think what can be ugly amongst us is that we know the gospel is true. We believe it. But we don't really live like it. What's ugly is that we know that God has promised his, his, the whole of heaven for us. It's our inheritance. 
but we don't really live like it. What's ugly is that we know the other bits of this passage, but we don't live like it. What do we see here? We see, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, if we really believe that, then we must live like that. Live believing that. That should affect our whole lives. But if we don't, we take the promises of God, but we don't live like it. That is ugly, isn't it? Don't you think? You, you claim all the promises of God, but our lives don't reflect it. That is ugly. Because if we live like what we believe, our lives, I think, in Surrey Hills, should be even far more radical than it is. Far more radical. Shining like a bright star in our suburb, in our city. So radically godly, so radically sacrificial, so radically Christ-centred. I mean, our conviction as Christians must be, if we believe that, I just want to live for him. That's my life. Who cares? So busy life is so consuming. I just want to live for him and I'm only satisfied if I do. I just want to live for him and I'm only satisfied if I do. You see, if God is for us, and if we believe that, then what is there to fear in life? We live like we're, we're afraid of so many things. If God is really for us and God is on my side, what is it that can come against us? But yet, what I find ugly, in myself as well, so I'm not just speaking to you, but to myself as well, we live like God is not for me. And so, even as Christians, we need to start living for ourselves. That's not right. I mean, we live like we need to be comfortable first as Christians. No, we don't. We don't have to be comfortable first. I mean, in our culture, it's hard to see our own culture, but our culture in Surrey Hills is so comfortable, so easy to live comfortable lives as Christians. But do you ever think that we can be too comfortable, that it becomes ugly. Do you think that's ever possible? I think it is. Or we live our lives where it's still needing to be so financially secure. Well, that's our world. We need to be so radically different. We've got God on our side already. Why worry? Or we live our lives still needing to establish ourselves in life. So many of you we heard from David Jones, you know, at uni you're thinking about your life, your career. Think kingdom first. Not just your job, not just how much you make. Think kingdom first. Or we live our lives needing to just enjoy travels. More travels, more fun, more pleasure. No, we don't. No, we don't. If we if we believe that, we must live like that, and that is radical living. You see, if God is for me already, I have everything I need. Do you believe that? If God is for you, you've got everything you need already. Nothing else. What more do I want? And so if 
we want to live lives consistent with what we believe. We have to be radical. Radically different to this world. Because if we don't, I think that's ugly. I think that's ugly even amongst Christians. Now one of the books, apart from the Bible, that really convicted me early on as a younger Christian, about your, many of your age, towards the end of university, was a book that convicted me in thinking, what am I using my life for? I don't want to waste my life away. I mean, this is the time for you to think about it. I did not want to waste my life away. And one book that really convicted me was, was J.I. Packer. His book, Knowing God. Now, Knowing God, if you have not read this, if you love Jesus, you better read it. <laughs> but it is a chunky book, and so it's a bit like cheesecake. So you can't eat too much at the same time, otherwise you get indigestion. So read little bits and digest it. But in this book, Knowing God, he said this, we know what kind of life Christ calls us to. We often preach and talk to each other about it. But do we live it? What did Christ call us to do if you want to follow after me? Carry your jacuzzi. Carry your suitcase. Carry your super, your nesse. No, what did Jesus say? Carry your cross. Carry your cross, not just at the end of your life. Carry your cross daily and follow after me. What are we carrying? I mean, it's ugly if we're, we're carrying a photo of ourselves. It's ugly when we're, we're carrying the stuff of this world and it's dragging us down. And then Pake goes on to say, Well, look at the churches. Observe the shortage of ministers and missionaries, especially men. The luxury goods in Christian homes the fundraising problems of Christian societies, the readiness of Christians in all walks of life to grumble about their salaries, the lack of concern for the old and lonely, or indeed for anyone outside the circle of sound believers. That was convicting to me. And so towards the end of the universe, I, I did not want to waste my life. I've got God. What do I have to lose? I've got everything already. Now, I read that many years ago. And it convicted me, convinced Yvonne and myself, we need to live a radical life. We can't just be normal, can't be comfortable as Christians. I mean, why else would folks like the shorts we heard of this weekend, why would they live their lives with their little kids in the desert of Niger? Who would do such a thing? Except those who understood Romans 8. God is for me. Who else is going to be against me? What do I have to lose? Who else would be like, I mean, even Kim and the Sorensons this morning, do the work on campus, they're committing their life to see lives change. Well, who would do that? Well, those who understand, God is for us. God is for me. Who's going to be against me? If God is for us, we have everything already. So what do we fear? As Christians, we can't be living in fear. But more than that, in the next verse, Reread. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God gave us the best already, gave us his son. What more do we want? But if there's more we want, of course God's going to grant it 
for, to us for our good. But if God did not even spare his own son for us, but yet as Christians in Surrey Hills, I mean, we joke about it, and it's somewhat funny, but if you think deeply, if we can't even manage to get to church on time, how will God entrust me with bigger responsibilities? How? God gave his son. I can't even manage these menial responsibilities. If God did not even spare his son for me, but yet I can't even manage to think, how am I meant to live as a salt in this world, like what we've been hearing? to be so different, so distinct, even if it means persecution. How then, if I can't even manage that, how will God entrust me with, me with more? If God did not even spare his own son for me, and yet I can't even manage to love sacrificially, joyfully, willingly, those amongst us here, within the community of believers, then how will God entrust me with more? If God did not even spare his own son for me, and yet we can't even manage to be overflowing with generosity with each other, to each other, with all the things that belong to God already, how, how can I be entrusted with more things from God? If God did not even spare his own son for me, but yet we can't even manage to use our lives to be so conscious, I need to be a blessing to others, just as I've been blessed so much. How then will God entrust me with more? A gentle word to the millennials. Gentle. Particularly the millennials. I mean, in our culture, the millennials, the Gen X, Y, whatever we're up to now, you need to remember, you're not millennials. You are Christian. Which means being different. Which means being radically different. Your friends are always late, but not so you. Your friends don't keep their word, not so you. You are to be radically different because you're living for Christ. I mean, there's so little of those responsibilities. If we can't do that, how can we do more? You see, one day we will all rock up and stand before God Almighty. And if we stand before God, knowing in our heart of hearts that God has not spared his son for me, but I have kept some tiny little stuff from God in my life, I mean, I don't, want, I don't want that feeling before God. Instead, I want to be able to say, as the Apostle Paul said, Lord, in your strength, by your grace, in your mercy, I have also, like the Apostle Paul, poured out my life as a drink offering. I did all I can. You don't want that feeling. I kept stuff back from God after he spared his son for us. I mean, if we really believe this verse, our life should be even more radical than it is. Not comfortable, radical. We can't be satisfied with just ordinary life. And you see, we have models even amongst us to learn from. Brilliant models amongst us. Watch them, look at them, observe them, and learn from them. Let me share with you how I've been convicted by lives of Christians and what they've done, and that challenges me. Man, I need to be far more radical than I am. People who live their lives knowing, Lord, you spared your son. 
I'm not going to spare anything at all from you. Now, there's a minister in, in America by the name of Francis Chan. Many of you have read his books. They, as a family, live such radical lives. It's just unbelievable. And it's all coming from just the one family. When I read of what they do as a family, how they live radical, Christ-centered lives, I'm convicted. Man, what am I doing, I'm thinking. But their home is not just theirs. They're always welcoming strangers. People who would live with them for months at end. Their kids grow up with always strangers in their household because they are hospitable. They are radical. And it is radical, isn't it? Always having someone else in the household because of your love for others, just as they've been loved. It's radical, isn't it? But that's the way all Christians should be. Now, yesterday when we heard of Johnny's testimony, Kicked out of home. I would hope that if that happened at our church, every single one of us would say, let me be your brother. Your father. mother and your sister. Or Francis Chan and Lisa. Six kids of their own. Unbelievable. I mean, who, who, who has six kids? Only the exceptional, right? <laughs> Crazy household. But yet they've got enough love to give. Enough love to give that they would even adopt another child. 16-year-old girl who on the streets of San Francisco, doing drugs, but yet they'll welcome her home. Be our daughter. That's radical, isn't it? Now, seven kids. Unbelievable. But that should be what we're like. We serve the same saviour. Or when Christians adopt, I mean, I, I know one amongst us who have, have been adopted, that is a wonderful display of the gospel. When Christians want to love those who are not their own, and foster, I know someone else amongst us considering fostering. That is a wonderful display of the gospel. That is radical living. Or oh, the chance again. For their 20th anniversary, wedding anniversary, I mean, what do you do on anniversary? You go on a nice night, you go on a tropical island. What they did that convicted me. I mean, I'm, I'm avoiding any... Any holidays, that's just about me. But what they did was they went to South, I mean, East Africa. Went to visit a ministry committed to helping young women in the sex industry, providing for orphans, for children in need. That's what they did for the 20th anniversary. I mean, that is radical. They're not using their holidays to celebrate them. They're using their holidays to honour their saviour. I mean, that challenged me. I don't want to... I don't want to, I mean, not that holidays are bad, we need a rest, of course. I don't want all my holidays to just be about me. There is something bigger here. Wouldn't it be awesome, you know, in the next year, you know, beach mission, cows, theos? Yes. I'll use my holiday, I'll use my annual leave. Short term mission. Being convicted, maybe. Long term mission. Or the chance again. 
Francis Chan made over $5 million in royalties from his book, Crazy Love. What do you do with that much money? You know, some, some American pastors buy a, buy a private jet. But what did he do? He gave it all away. He said, I don't want to just buy stuff. I don't want to rock up to God one day with $5 million of stuff that will not last. His focus was on eternity. He's got everything already. Why? God was on his side. He's got everything. And that's radical, isn't it? Giving away $5 million. Live a very simple life. But that should be what we're like. We serve the same Saviour. And so if God did not spare his own son, how can we spare anything from our God? And how ugly is it if we know that verse, but we don't live like that? Radical living. I just want to live for him, and hopefully you do too. And we should not be satisfied if we don't. We live like we've got nothing to lose. We don't want to be ugly. In fact, as we've heard this week, we don't even want to be good. We want to be the men and women of God. And that means you get crucified. So this next year, let's be more radical, even more so. Because God did not spare his son for us. Can I pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for these Pray for these precious brothers and sisters in Christ. That our lives would somehow be even more closer to be worthy of the gospel. How glorious it is that you would not even spare your son for us. How can we ever dream of sparing anything from you? So help us live such lives that will bring joy to the face of our God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour. And the church said, Amen. Thank <laughs> you.